Amen. You can have a seat. All right, so I'll be transparent up front. Today's kind of a mixed bag for me, right? I really am sad that it's my last time with you, but at the same time, I try to very quickly go to happiness because I know what's coming for you. I only cried twice in the first service, so if I can get down to one, I'll be good with that. But it really is a day to celebrate because the time has come. Someone is here to lead you and to shepherd you, to care for you and your families, and to show up each week to proclaim truth from God's word to God's people. And I hope that you'll leave encouraged, compelled to do more, and challenged. You know, as I thought about today, I, I kind of chuckled because I thought about my first Sunday to ever attend Grace City. I had just talked to David about coming and, and taking this role, but I had never been here on a Sunday. And so I thought, well, you know, I'm going to try to sneak in. And I guess I thought, oh, that'll be easy. And I should have known better. Because like 20 people talk to me and they're like, well, we hope that you're living right with the Lord and making the right decisions and that you'll be here. And I was like, oh man, stupid me that I thought I could come in here and not know somebody like Jackson's that big of a place. And you know, David had prepped me. He was like, hey man, I just, I just want you to know, like something happens when I get up there and I just start talking really fast. I was like, oh, well, I mean, everybody thinks that they get nervous or something and they talk quickly when they preach. And then I sat down and he started preaching. And I buckled up. Because that man just went for it. And I really kind of got nervous. I was like, maybe I should say no. Because I don't speak that quickly when I'm preaching. And I'm probably just going to put him to sleep. It's going to be awful. I've seen a few yawns over the past six months. But I'll just take it that it was the coldness of the room. And not God's anointing in my life. But I truly am glad that I said yes to it. You know, and I, I remember that day, David was actually prepping you for what was coming. He said, hey, it's probably a little too soon. Who knows how long it will go before we do have a new pastor. He said, but I really kind of want to tell you what it looks like for you to receive well who that person's going to be. And it was a great message. I mean, I remember walking away going, man, what a good word on just what it practically looks like to be the church, to receive in a new shepherd amongst you. And it was great, but that was six months ago. And some of y'all forgot what I talked about last week. Most of y'all in this service, you're like, we weren't even here last week, bro, so you can go ahead and give that message again. And so I thought, what a great time to kind of just pause and, and to remind you, honestly, of a couple of things that I remember him saying, and then a few things just for myself that I would want you to know. You know, if you were here last week, you might remember we talked about identity, what it looks like for you to know who you are in Christ, how important that is in your understanding of what God calls you to do as you follow Christ. And I'm actually somebody, and I don't, I don't know where you'll land with this, I'm somebody who believes that what I do in this lifetime will impact my eternity. Not that I'm earning salvation or that I'm working for something. I, I don't think that's the gospel, but I do believe that the things that I engage in, my pursuit of holiness now, will determine what the eternity looks like for me. I'm going to have a sweet gig. I'm going to be a baker in heaven. Or the new earth, however you want to view that. I think it'll be new earth. We're going to be here. I'm going to have a bakery. It's going to be awesome. Y'all come see me. Everything will be free, right? It's heaven. I don't know if y'all think about I think about that a lot. Everything's going to be free. It's going to be great. And so today I want to move us from talking about identity and how that shapes who you are because I know last week in 20 minutes I solved any identity crisis that you would have. If you weren't here, go listen to it. Identity crisis solved in 20 minutes. You'll never doubt who you are in Christ again. Okay, six months in and you guys didn't get that that was a joke. Okay, all right. I guess I should have stayed a little bit longer. I, I don't know. 
But today I want us to focus in on what does it look like for you in this season to be the church? What are the things that you're called to do as you receive a new pastor? There really were a lot of directions we could go with this of, hey, these are the things that you should be doing as a church, what the functions of the church are, what some of those personal things you should be doing, praying, fasting, engaging in the word, serving the community, even different ways of worship. I thought about a lot of things, but this is where I landed, that we go from identity, who you are, to what you do. One guy described it a lot in my life as living from acceptance and not for acceptance. And if you can know that, then everything I'm about to say gets really easy because you'll know who you are and it will impact what you do. But today we talk about leadership. How do you receive and work alongside a new pastor? Because whether you've kind of liked me or not, you knew there was a timestamp on it. So if it was great, you're like, oh, it'll be great till it's not. But if you didn't like me, you were like, well, it's not. And then it will be great because we'll get somebody else. You know, the Bible has a lot to say about leaders. Read any portion of the Old or New Testament and you'll see something about leadership, how people were supposed to lead, how they succeeded, how they failed, and some of the stories of the Old Testament, what their qualifications were supposed to be and how God used them. And then Paul also spends a lot of time in the New Testament, a lot of time really in Timothy and Titus. He's telling these leaders, hey, this is what you should look for in a pastor, in a leader, what they should be characterized by, how they should lead the church. And then a lot of time, something I kind of discovered as I was reading about how the church should conduct themselves. Hey, this is what you as the people, the community of of believers, this is what you should be doing. But there's not a lot directly of, hey, this is what you do with the pastor, for the pastor. There's just not a lot there. And so we're going to do something that's a little, honestly, out of my personality and preference. I got to pick some verses from different places. You know how I don't like that. I'd rather us just read like three chapters, verse by verse bunch of names nobody can pronounce that's really how I get down but I guess we'll just go for a few verses still God's word right but the first thing that you do as you welcome a new pastor to lead you is this you continue the work of the ministry Ephesians 4 11 and 12 says this and he gave the apostles the prophets the evangelists the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry for building up the body of Christ Paul's telling them that the pastor is called to equip you, the church, to do the work of the ministry. His job, as is the rest of the staff who has been here with you already, their job is to equip you to do ministry, not just do it for you. They're in it with you, and yet you are called, just as they are, to do the work of the ministry. Building the church and being the church is not just the pastor's responsibility. It's yours. He shepherds and directs, and then you go proclaim it to your neighbor, those that you live alongside and cross paths with. And I've seen this play out in a couple different ways, good and bad, over my years in ministry. Some of y'all know that Rebecca and I, when we first got married, we lived overseas in West Africa, and we had a youth group that we kind of ran. And it was different for me because I couldn't go to their school. Y'all know how youth pastors are. They're like, I just want to go sit and have lunch with people and, you know, act dumb and high five and basically just go back to high school a little bit. Well, I wasn't going to be good at that anyway. And then we got there and realized that we wouldn't really have access to the schools, kind of security measures. And so we told our students up front, we're like, hey, listen, here's how this has to go. We, we can't come to you at the school. And so you've got to take the message to your friends. Like we're here to equip you. We're here to prepare you. But you actually have to go share the gospel with your friends, which is the way it's supposed to be anyway. And they're like, okay, yeah, we'll do that. And so over the years that we were there, we watched 12, 13-year-olds 
to just take the gospel into their school and tell their Muslim and their atheist friends, hey, this is who Jesus is, and if you want to know more, we got this thing that we do every week. It was crazy. We had all these people coming, Muslim students sitting there just hearing about the gospel, and I was like, this is insane. We even had this one kid. He was real quirky. I was like, oh, man, tell me about your family. He said, well, my dad's an atheist, and my mom's a Jew. I was like, there's a good joke there, and I'm going to find it, my guy. I'm going to find it. It was wild. And then I came back to America and I did college ministry. They were a little bit harder to get on board. Not in like a really negative way, but like kind of. They're like, hey, I need you to come to the school and like meet all my friends and like convince them to come to church. And I was like, please, that's a waste of everybody's time. And it was interesting though, this shift of going, hey, no, 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 that's not how this works. You are called to do the work of the ministry, to engage the people you live with, to bring them alongside what God's doing, and I'll equip you to do it all day long. Because if people will show up to church for anything but Christ, they'll leave for anything but Christ. That's kind of how that works. But let me encourage you, that's not to say that I'm seeing that not being done here. Rebecca and I actually were at dinner last night kind of recapping our 21. It wasn't all that great. 21 was kind of a crapshoot year for all of us, wasn't it? But something that was really a highlight for us was, was talking about how the past six months that we've been here, you have not ceased to engage in the work of the ministry. You didn't say, well, we don't have a pastor, so we'll just sit back and hang out and not do anything until he gets here. What we've seen is you continue to meet in homes, meet in this church, to be the church, to serve the community, to engage the people right out front, to do all of these things. Which maybe to you, I hope to you, you're like, uh, yeah, what else would we do? But there's a lot of places who they wouldn't have done that. They would say, well, we'll just sit here and we'll show up every week and we're not doing anything else until we get somebody. And yet the calling of God to his people is that they continue the work and he provides the rest. But what if he asked you to do what you've been doing in a different way, right? What if he comes in here, like, and I'm about to get up in your business real quick because I'm going to start a fire and I'm leaving anyway. So, man, y'all put it out. Also a joke, okay, if you, y'all are getting there, you know, I just, maybe, maybe you'll all laugh in a minute. What if he asked you to do something different than what you've been doing? Well, here's the second thing, you honor and you submit to him. I think this is hard for the Western church, especially being American, because we just really struggle with who are we, right? And I think we overlay a little bit too much our American nature into the church. Not to like really step in it on my last Sunday. Look, I'm just saying all kinds of stuff. I didn't even write that down. And it gets confusing. And so we strong arm and we bow up as God's people and yet he's called us to be different. He's called us to a different way. So this might be the time where you have to choose am I serving the culture out there or the culture in here? Which kingdom are you going to serve? You only get to choose one. The Bible demonstrates throughout that leaders are a part of the church. They are part of God's plan and they should be honored. A couple verses for that. Hebrews 13, 17. The author says, Obey your leaders and submit to them for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning for that would be of no advantage to you. Hebrews is a difficult letter. We don't really know who wrote it, but we know that it was written to a group of people who were considering walking away from faith because it had gotten difficult. 
They were getting persecuted. They were getting put down. And they thought about, well, we should go back to Judaism because it's easier. It's more accepted. And, and maybe it won't be as difficult to live if we did that. And the author lays out how following Christ is just better. So I love that he ends with, hey, and, and why you're listening, know that it's good to obey and submit to the people that have been put over you. For they keep watch over your souls. What a lofty job that pastors have been given. To not just care for you and to preach to you, to walk with you, but to care for your souls. I read that and my understanding is that the moment's gonna come when God's gonna say, did you steward well the people I gave to you? And Nathan's gonna come here and he's gonna be held accountable for that. And so the, the author says, obey and submit because he's caring for your souls and let it be a joyful occasion for him, not one of groaning. Another place that I see this is 1 Timothy 5, 17. It says, let the elders, so in that, in that sense, I would say pastors and elders, let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. As the man who will come and who will preach and teach to you regularly, make his job be full of honor because you accept him, you welcome him, you submit to him. You know, I've seen this before. I, ha I had some students one time that they came to me because a pastor, another pastor on staff, had kind of wronged them a little bit, to be fair to them. Like he hadn't done everything he should have done. And I wanted to jump in and save them and say that they had been wronged and that, you know, he was awful and all these things because I wanted to play savior. But I just heard God say to me, no, you honor him. And so I looked at him, I said, hey, I know you've been hurt. I said, but the best thing you can do is to honor him in front of everybody and let the Lord work the rest out. Your calling is to honor and to submit and trust that God has put him here to lead you. And sometimes this is easier said than done. There may be some things that you didn't have an opinion about and you suddenly have an opinion about. And you're in a unique situation as a church, right? Because you're about 11 years old and the first person who came here, well, he and, he and Rich came together and they started this and it was kind of nothing and now it's something. And so now you're in a place where you're established. You've been here, he has not. You've called him to come. It's a, a new situation for you. And so that means that you're gonna be a little protective of the way you do things. Because you're gonna go, well, that's why we're all here because we like doing it this way. If we wanna do it differently, we would have gone to another church. And so you may kind of rub up against that, right? Where your preferences are maybe gonna get shot down. You know, who knows, maybe he comes in and, he says, hey, can we change the way we make the communion crackers? The first service, the person who made them was sitting kind of right in front of me and they were like, really? Are they bad? I said, no, they're wonderful. They're great. I'm just saying, it's him, not me. I, I didn't do it. <laughs> and I'm picking something really petty and y'all may be like, that's so stupid. He wouldn't. He might. And y'all better be like, Hawaiian bread, great. I love it. <laughs> Dips just as easy. But I pick a petty example because that's what happens, right? Really petty things that we get twisted up in knots about that any other day in any other place you wouldn't care about. And the reason that happens is because the enemy ain't got nothing else but petty things to get us on. And if he can get you disjuncted and out of sync, then he'll win. Which is why Paul tells all of his churches, you fight for unity. He told the Corinthian church a lot. Two letters we got. Y'all better fight for unity because y'all having a hard time. Told the Romans the same thing. You better fight 
for unity. He even told them there are going to be a lot of things of secondary importance that will come and go from the church. He said, and in those things, you would yield. Some things are going to change in the coming months. I'm not going to lie to you and tell you that nothing will change, but don't think that it's all bad. It, it could be stretching for you. But my encouragement to you is if it doesn't go against what Christ has called you to do as the church and what his word affirms to you, then you yield, you submit. Another way, I think I've said it to you before, is as you've received grace, you extend grace. You trust the Lord when you trust the leader. One early 17th century uh, German theologian, dude's name is Rupertus, that's cool. Called him Peter for short. I don't know how that works out, but I don't know German that well. He said this, in essentials, unity, in non-essentials, liberty, in all things, clarity. Let that be your mantra the next few months as he comes in and, and tries to discern from God what are the things that are working well and what needs to change. That you would fight for unity with him, not against him in the main things. You would allow for differences in the secondary things and you would fight for clarity in all things. As you have received grace, you extend grace. And the final thing I would tell you is this, that you love him well. First Thessalonians 5, 12 and 13 says this, we ask you brothers to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and who admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. I never wanna downplay anybody's calling or vocation. In the past couple of years, everybody's job's gotten harder, right? Everybody can convince you that their job's the hardest and I, I think that that's true. I just only can speak from what I know. And what I know is that the calling of the pastor impacts not just the man who says yes, but his entire family. And sometimes even generations of that family, for better or worse, are impacted. I've seen a lot of families destroyed because of this little thing we call the church. A lot of people walk away from the church. They walk away from ministry. They walk away from faith because they truly say, it, there's no way this is what it's supposed to be. And if we had time, a lot of you have those stories where you've left certain places because you thought, there ain't no way the Lord's in this place anymore. And you may be even come here and go, I don't know how I feel about this place. It's messy. If I'm honest with you, to say yes to Christ, easiest decision I ever made. Are you kidding me? Have somebody clean up my mess that I made that I'm gonna keep making and he's gonna keep cleaning it up, doing the work for me on my behalf? What? And I made that decision, but theologically, I think it was more him than me, but we don't talk about that. To say yes to Christ is easy. To say yes to shepherd God's people, that looms large in the heart of a man who says yes. So I'm thinking about it. Tell the rest of your staff and your elders how much you love them and appreciate them. Some other ways that I think you can love Nathan and his family well Give them time. A lot of this is what David said to you six months ago. Give them time. It'll take them time to adjust to Jackson. They're from Texas, okay? And if you've been in Mississippi long, you know that William Faulkner had something to say about this. To understand the world, you have to understand a place like Mississippi because it's weird up in here, right? It's strange. And you know how it gets. If you're a Mississippian, this, this kind of sibling thing happens, where like, I'll say whatever I want about her, but if you say anything about her, we will fight. I know we got obesity and diabetes problem. Don't be talking about it though. That's a family discussion. 
we do this. If you're from here, you love your state and you don't really know why because it's not even really that great. Really, that's what y'all laughed at. Okay, all right, that's fine. I think the best thing to do is we're gonna get Stevie and Rebecca to take them down to Philadelphia and then back to Jackson and we'll go, oh, okay. Okay, this is actually pretty great. All right, bigger than we thought. It's gonna take a few months for them to adjust and, and to get to know you and it'll take them years to get to know you deeply. Some of you will come and go in that time because you know Jackson is a city where people are a little bit transient, college students, you, you may not stay here and so it, it will take time. Give them time, give them space. You might not agree with this, but I don't really care because I'll be done in a few minutes and then I'm gonna leave. But the decision for Nathan to come was and is a family decision but unless you suddenly change what you believe theologically, he's your pastor and she is not. I'm trying to figure out what I think about that. All these people like pastors and it's like the husband and the wife and I'm like, eh. you know, I'm for women in ministry, but I'm like, eh. I don't know. And some of you are like, I don't even know what you're talking about. That's fine. Just keep not knowing. I tell you that just to say that his calling is to come and lead you and, and her calling first is to be his wife and, and then to be a mother to their children. And if you know much about her or have listened, she has her own calling. She's a teacher. That's what she does day in and day out. Don't abuse her standing as his spouse to find out what's going on or air grievances. And if, if I can encourage you, if I've learned anything here, it's an open book in this place. Everybody's so open with what's happening here. And so I don't really think that'll be a problem, but I just want to lay it out there for you to know. Third thing is this, invite them into your home. You know, I've noticed one of the hardest parts about being a pastor who's not from here. I experienced, I had a lot of friends kind of come in and out of ministry with me and, and they weren't from here. Is this dance of, well, am I supposed to invite everybody over because I'm the pastor or are they supposed to invite me over? Let me make that easy for you. Invite them into your home. They don't know where they're going they're not settled. They don't even really know how to describe the house that they bought, like where it is, right? They're trying to figure it out. So for them to come to your home helps them see the city they've come to minister to. It helps them feel welcomed. Because we do this thing also in Mississippi where we're like the state of hospitality and yet this weird thing happens where we're like super hospitable but like we kind of keep you out here sometimes and it's like, oh, we love you but don't come to our home, it's a wreck. Or whatever. Invite them into your home. You're established, so help them find their way. All of those things are ways to love them well as they transition and come here. And I know that's kind of a lot, and it's a little jumbled for, for me personally, but I do hope that you find excitement in the days to come. And let me close by, by telling you how kind you have been to us. I have to tell you. Again, in our conversation Last night, this was just kind of the, the topic that we came up with. I mean, this is the thing that we just kept coming back to. Anytime people have asked us, hey, how's it going over at Grace City? I honestly feel like I, I suddenly am illiterate and don't really have great diction to describe how wonderful you've been. But we tell people how kind you have been to Rebecca and I. We can do nothing but sing your praises. How welcoming you have been. How loved our boys feel back in the kids ministry with Emily and everybody who serves back there. Listen, y'all doing the Lord's work back there. Let me tell you what God hadn't called me to, children's ministry. And I thank him every day. 
He gave me children, but I ain't trying to minister to everybody. <laughs> Two is enough. You've encouraged us. You've, you've asked how we're doing. You've truly cared about what happens next to us. And it's kind of funny because people go, what are you going to do next? And I'm like, I guess go back to my day job. <laughs> Honestly, you've been healing for us. Thank you. Coughing does the trick. Little thing I learned. Sorry, it's just COVID. New symptom is tears. <laughs> it's all right. Y'all are far enough back. Let me leave you with an encouraging word from Paul to the Thessalonian church. 1 Thessalonians 4.1, here's what he says. Finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you received from us how you ought to walk and to please God just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. Some translations in that verse by saying that you excel still more. Paul saying you have done a great job. Grace, let me tell you, you are faithful. You are kind. You are doing the things that Christ has called you to. So excel still more. A lot of things will change in the next few months, and at the same time, nothing will change because you're just going to keep being the body of Christ. And he and his family are going to join you in that.